From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm your guest host this week, Jennifer Shutt, and joining me to talk all things shutdown is my colleague, Kelly Madrick. How's it going, Jen? Really, really, truly great. Kelly, how about you? You know, it's good. I'm a little tired from working nonstop, but I guess the government shut down now, so that's what we're doing. Yeah, we've reached the one-month mark, too. It's the, mo- it's the longest shutdown in history. Go on. Yeah. So can you walk us through what the House is going to be doing this week in terms of trying to reopen government? Yeah, so we have dueling plans from the House and Senate this week. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of California has unveiled a six-bill I guess we could call it an omnibus, but it wouldn't cover all bills because Homeland Security remains unaddressed in the package, making Republicans in the chamber completely oppose the measure for not addressing what they say is needed for the president to reopen the government. So the Senate has a seven bill package that they're going to tee up on the floor released by Senator Richard Shelby. Last night, Jennifer, you were working really late on this um, Martin Luther King Jr. federal holiday. Uh, Thank you for your contribution to the team. You're, you're welcome. So it sounds like on the House side, we have a Democratic proposal with no Republican support. And on the Senate side, we have a Republican proposal with no or potentially very little Democratic support, right? So neither of these pieces of legislation is, has really any chance right now of getting to Trump's desk for his signature and actually ending the shutdown. Right? I thought that the CNN Chiron I saw at the start of this week put it pretty well that there are these dueling bills Um, that are just show votes lined up in the House. There's show votes lined up in both chambers of Congress this week. And that's what's really, I think, disappointing for all sides right now. There's been a lot of writing about how morose it is up in the Capitol. But the problem is that we have staffers, both on the Republican and Democratic side, just working their butts off, basically. And for what? Everyone has decided they're against these proposals either a few hours before they come out or after they come out, depending on which party they're in. And there's really no end in sight to that type of problem right now. And Republicans added, I think it's about 12 billion in disaster aid to this Senate seven bill package, hoping that they'd be able to bring Democrats on board. But it seems like the changes to asylum, particularly for Central American minors and some other changes to how legal immigration works in the United States is really just sort of pushing any hopes that you'd bring Democrats on off to the side. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, I think what's really frustrating and I'd be curious, I know that you looked into some of the details of this asylum stuff, but what's what's really interesting to me about this is they're saying it's this Bridge Act, right, which was sponsored by Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, and also has Republican co-sponsors. But um, immigration advocates are saying that it's not the Bridge Act, actually. What's the big problem in there that you saw, Jen? Yeah, so I'm not an expert on the Bridge Act, but basically what this legislation is supposed to do, this seven-bill Senate hodgepodge package, is that it would allow a three-year extension for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, that program that allows children brought to the country by their parents without proper documentation, the ability to stay um, and work or go to school. There's also supposed to be a three-year extension of temporary protected status. Those are people who come to the country legally because of issues in their country that essentially make their countries unsafe. Yeah, threats at home. Mm -hmm. Right. And so one of the things 
that was really interesting when we started reading through the bill text and sort of following along with some of these you know, immigration policy experts is is the concerns about the sort of details within the policy. And so one of the things is that Central American minors would have to apply for asylum in their home countries. They would no longer be allowed to present themselves at the border and request asylum there. It would also limit the number of Central American minors or children um, who can apply to 50,000 annually, the number who can actually receive asylum to 15,000 annually, and asylum would have to be deemed in the natural interest for those Central American minors. So there's a lot of concerns, particularly from left-leaning immigration advocates, about how this would change those programs, what this would mean, And it really seems like this is a non-starter with Democrats. What was kind of interesting to me about that asylum provision particularly is you can see the talking point coming from the left, right, on on this particular point. Uh, You know, how are how are people supposed to claim asylum in their home country when they're in their home country? Isn't that making them a target? There's all kinds of this type of debate that's already starting to like swirl on social media. And it just is another example of, OK, now we're going to have an argument that's not about opening the government. And so you really start yeah, to wonder, is when really is this going to end? Yeah, we're getting into immigration policy, which is one of those issues that is really difficult for Congress um, and the Trump administration to address. And they've struggled with it. And, you know, just agreeing on border security funding, which is why this all started on December 22nd, is what got us kind of into the shutdown. But now it seems like we're looping legal immigration policy and policy for DACA recipients into this, which is going to make it really a lot more complicated and potentially longer to final come to some type of final agreement. Meanwhile, we still have 800,000 federal workers who are either furloughed or working without pay. They are coming up on missing a second paycheck on Friday, January 25th. Um, Truly something we've never experienced. Yeah. And there's all types of concerns. I know the supplemental nutrition assistance program, which some people refer to as food stamps. Uh, There's a lot of concerns about whether or not there will be enough funding to send two states, four states to distribute to the people who who need this nutrition assistance for the month of March. There's a lot of uncertainty there. Uh, I know I think the latest numbers from the Transportation Security Administration, TSA, those people who screen you through at the airport, they are all working without pay. There's a lot of financial concerns for them as well. And I think TSA has been releasing their call-out numbers every day, and I believe the number on Sunday was 10%. It it seems to me like there's no dispute that this is terrible, that everything that's happening is so horrible. But if you go on to Capitol Hill, if you go into the House and Senate chambers, as you've seen, right, outside the chamber, as people are walking to work, they all are kind of acting like everything is normal, that it's a normal business week. I mean, they might be more upset in the way they're talking, but it looks like they're just going to work. And yet, you know, this big portion of the federal government is shut down. I think that you know, there's a real there's a real lack of a sense of the reality that a lot of people have when they're furloughed, which is they're sitting at home, not working, waiting for something to happen. I mean, as someone in the journalism industry, I've been furloughed before. It's terrible. Like you can't do anything. There's so much uncertainty. You know? Yeah. And so I think that it's just the, the contrast right now, knowing what these furloughed workers are doing at home sitting, waiting for a decision to be made. And then the rest of Washington just kind of like coming to work, doing their jobs, 
going up to the 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 dais and saying this is terrible but at the end of the day they're the legislative action is kind of similar even and, though part of the federal government shut down it just makes you wonder are we really focusing on the shutdown and anymore? one of the things that we've been watching for is another serious high-level negotiation between Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer, and President Trump. And so far, there's nothing like that on the schedule right now. We had Vice President Mike Pence came up to Capitol Hill last week to meet with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. But that meeting lasted about an hour. Democrats weren't involved. And of course, that meeting had a little bit to do with this uh, this seven-bill Senate spending package that Republicans are advancing this right. week. And that was happening as the House was unveiling a six-bill package. So it's kind of like those negotiations were doomed anyway because they weren't even on the same page with the White House. So we've just got all these different negotiators on all different levels with each other. And it sounds like often they're arguing with themselves, whether it's Republicans, Democrats, or the White House. We saw this over the weekend. And, you know, it just... It really begs the question, especially when more than 30 days into the shutdown, the president's tweeting no cave. You know what? How is this going to end? Because right now it's just this really high stakes battle. But it's clear that the actual realities of this problem are coming to bite lawmakers in both parties. So what do you mean by that? I mean, you know, I think that it comes down to a lot of different things in each lawmaker's district or home state. But. In this case, the shutdown is affecting a lot of the most vulnerable people, people in food stamps, housing assistance. Some people in, you know, rental based assistance are unable to renew their leases. Um, People in in low income housing are unable to pay their rent who are federal workers. There's the whole multitude of different ways that people who are either furloughed due to the shutdown or who rely on federal assistance when it comes to things like the housing department or food assistance that is making it really troublesome for a lot of different people across the board. Just wonder how this is gonna how this is gonna end. Sometimes I feel like I'm staring into the void with you, Jen. We are definitely staring into the void. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Kelly. Thanks a lot. And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall. 